All right. Well, welcome back to uh, Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. This is Mike Kelly, and today I'm proud to introduce Sean Hardy, who has just recently retired from 20 years of active service to our country. Um, Sean, with a heartfelt thank you for your service. Um, I'm going to turn the microphone over to you and and let you tell us a little about your history and your experiences. Uh, how you doing, Mike? Thank you for uh, for having me on here. I really appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, so my name is Sean. Uh, I just retired from the from the Air Force after 20 years. Uh, spent most of my time in communications. Uh, uh, grew up down in Florida before I joined the military. Grew up in Florida, and then I was a I was a 19 year old kid who didn't really uh, have any direction. Didn't have a way to pay for college. Uh, and I was having a hard time uh, paying rent. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna go join the join the military. And that's uh, in a nutshell. It's basically what I did. I I went the next day and started talking to a recruiter. And uh, about nine months later, I was uh, at Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, uh, my, my first day of basic training. Uh, so I did, uh, did did basic training and then did uh, follow-on training over at uh, Keesler Air Force Base down in uh, Biloxi, Mississippi, where I became a visual imagery and intrusion detection systems apprentice. And what that is, is basically the Air Force took two jobs and matched them together. Uh, so I was a physical security uh, uh, specialist, think like, uh, you know, ADT or Brinks. I was able to uh, work on all those systems, but I was also trained on uh, video production uh, maintenance. So uh, part of my training was done up in Fort Meade, Maryland, uh, right outside of Baltimore, where I learned uh, television studio maintenance, camera maintenance, television maintenance, all, all, of, all of that stuff. Uh, so once I graduated from there, that was about a year long uh, year of training. Uh, went on to uh, over to Korea, uh, Osan Air Base in Korea, where I uh, uh, was continuing my continuing my work as a uh, intrusion detection specialist. We, we did the uh, we maintained all the all the low voltage uh, wiring and you know the the uh, card readers, RFID uh, scanners, uh, stuff like that. Did that for uh, just about a year. Uh, went over to uh, from there. I went over to. Uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base out in California, in, in uh, Santa Barbara County. Uh, from there, we 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 did a uh, we had a space launch mission. So there, I, I maintained a television production studio uh, okay. where we broadcast uh, our space launches uh, live to the NASA channel and to other other partners. Did that for for about three years. I deployed uh, out of uh, Vandenberg to to uh, Djibouti, Africa, uh, over in the Horn of Africa. Uh, just north of uh, Somalia, and over there, uh, I was I was tasked to be a combat camera maintainer. So I would uh, maintain the equipment for all the combat photographers and all the combat videographers. I showed up, and I didn't have any any equipment to actually do my job. Uh, so I didn't have a bench, I didn't have tools, I didn't have anything. Uh, there, there was nothing in, in place there. So I said, I don't I don't really know what I can be doing here. And they said, well, can you shoot? I said, I absolutely can shoot. Uh, before I joined the military, I was actually a videographer and a video editor uh, down in uh, down in Florida at, uh, in a retirement community called The Villages. Uh, so leverage that that skill uh, that I had before the military. And I said, absolutely, I can shoot. I can edit. I can do whatever you guys need me to do. Uh, so from there, I went out and did uh, uh, mil military to military training. Uh uh, documented that, documented uh, training between the French, the Djiboutians, uh, went up to Ethiopia for a stint, uh, did some uh, documented some training up there. 
so that was that was all really cool. Uh, one of the coolest things though that I did was I am credited with creating the first podcast in the United States Central Command area of responsibility. So uh, we had a humanitarian mission primarily out there in the Horn of Africa, and we would uh, create uh, podcasts and video video uh, uh, video blogs uh, showcasing the services that we offered from the military base, uh, veterinarian services, uh, health services to the local population. We, and what we were trying to do is we were trying to uh, win hearts and minds out there. You know, they're, they're a very uh, vulnerable population out there uh, at the time. And so, you know, whoever was going to, whatever organization came out there and uh, uh, gave this area the most, uh, the most help were, were going to be the ones that they uh, kind of followed. Uh, so it was a wonderful mission. It, it was fantastic. Uh, I, I would get uh, different people from around the uh, local area that spoke the, the different languages. Uh, I think I, I think we had four or five different languages that we would do each podcast in: uh, English, Arabic, uh, French, uh, Somali, maybe a few more too. It's been a long time, but uh, it was. It was, it, it was, was it a single podcast or a single recording, and then the overlays, or you just did you have different personalities reproduce with? Uh, native speaking yeah so uh so, yeah so that's exactly it so we would have uh so i worked for the public affairs office and the public affairs officers would write the content and then i would have to go out and find uh find these uh local local people that we trusted uh, to translate our english uh, podcast into the the native language then we would we would upload it to our servers and uh they would uh download it uh, through rss feeds uh this was 2006, 2007. So podcasting was in, in its very, very early infancy. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I don't, I don't know how many, uh, how many downloads we, we, we got. Uh, you know, internet is not back then. It was not readily available. Um, so, but it, I am credited with uh, creating the first podcast out there. So that was, that was really cool. It was a, it was a fantastic experience. Yeah, um, and and ironically, this is. I believe you were just saying. Um, prior to the call that, that this is your first interview on a podcast so and it's only 17 years later <laughs> yeah that's it not, not, nothing big <laughs> so it, it, it's it's definitely cool to be a be a part of this podcast here after you know having very very early experience with uh with the technology okay. um, so how did you go from doing video production and doing some podcasts into to it because because part of your career was focused around the IT aspect. Yeah, it was. So, uh, so after I left uh, uh, the Horn of Africa, I I uh, came back came back home to uh, California, where I decided that I want to be a drill sergeant, uh, and that that's a very important piece to this uh, to this story. So, so your poor eight year old. Yeah. So, uh, so in the Air Force, we call them military training instructors. Uh, so I went to San Antonio, Texas, uh, Lackland Air Force Base and became a military training instructor, uh, for four and a half years. Now, while I was doing that training and molding the young men and women to, uh, to wear the uniform, the Air Force decided to do away with my former career field. So visual imagery intrusion detection systems, uh, vids for short, if I refer to it, uh, vids went away and they made everyone in my career, in my old career field, uh, a network operations technician. Uh, so, uh, so while I was, you know, marching down the street, the Air Force was changing my entire career path for the better. Uh, so, uh, so after I was done, uh, being a military training instructor, 
I went back to the force and now I'm a, a network technician. Uh, at the time, I wasn't able to tell you the difference between a router and a switch. Uh, had no idea, you know, if you wanted me to march, march a group of, uh, people down, down the street and, you know, do that. I could do that. If you wanted me to set up cameras to document a space launch, I could do that. But when, when we were talking about, uh, slash 29s and, uh, you know, subnetting VLANs, I had no idea. Uh, so it was, it, it was, it was quite a, quite a jump, uh, for me to do that. So, but that, that, that's how I became a, a, uh, an IT guy, basically. <laughs> So what kind of training did they provide for you at that point? Or was it just more on the job and you just had to learn? Yeah. So, uh, so based on my rank, I was, a I was a tech sergeant at the time in E6 and I was the non-commissioned officer in charge. So I was responsible for, I, I want to say I had 25, uh, uh, airmen underneath me. Uh, so my job was to get them the training, uh, make sure that they were, they were trained, make sure they had the, uh, classes that, that came down the pipeline for us. Meanwhile, I'm in, I'm in the, the office writing their performance reports, uh, doing budget analysis and all this stuff. So it took me two years to get into a training class, uh, for, for my career field. Uh, so, you know, while they're out there programming the routers and switches, uh, I'm sitting there. I have no idea what you guys are doing. Just please go do it and don't get me in trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, you know, at, at the two year mark, I was finally able to uh, kind of be selfish a little bit and get myself into a class. Uh, and that was a class where I uh, learned the fundamentals of routing and switching, uh, Cisco call manager, um, VLANs, all that stuff. It, it was a two week course, uh, you know, 7 a.m. until 4 p.m., uh, Monday through Friday for two weeks. And we were able to cram a lot of stuff in, in that course. And at the time, I was actually an HR manager, human resources manager, uh, or uh, major uh, in college, because going back to my military training instructor time, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't, uh, you know, this is the only thing I'm good at. So I was going for an HR degree. Because of that two-week class, it was so good and it was so interesting. I, at the end of that, I dropped out of that that school and started a, a, a networking degree. So it, it was a fantastic class and it changed the, the entire trajectory of my, of my, uh, my life, basically, you know, without that class, I, I would not be where I'm at right now. Wow. So, and, and they actually, you got blended right away. I mean, I, in all honesty, I'm seeing three separate things happening to you at once. One, you're learning how to lead. You're, you're looking at the budgets, you're handling the management aspect of that, that group. And then um, networking and phones at the same time. Now, yes, they are severely intertwined, but those two specialties are typically like complete schools of study by themselves. I, I managed to to um, foster one employee or coworker into having both of those, um, and we burned him out pretty quickly because he was doing both. But um, but that's interesting that, that they. They were teaching you that. And, really? and and I just gotta mention, you know, you're talking about intrusion detection and it being the physical intrusion detection. Every time I hear intrusion detection, I'm automatically thinking of, <laughs> you know, like trying to find a watch and snort. Because <laughs> yeah. that's how old I am. I used the old system snort at the beginning of that, looking for that intrusion detection. <laughs> and hey, has somebody gotten into our network? And so keep going. Yeah. Tell us, yeah. tell us a little more about. Okay, so you've gotten some of that training. What what year are we talking about now? Where uh, so right now we're talking. So I got there in 2012. Uh, so 2014 is whenever I uh, 
uh, finally got into that training course and uh, was able to to learn the uh, kind of deep dive into routing and switching and telephones. And you, you know, you mentioned that they are two broad different things. So, it, so it, it was actually a really cool unit that I was attached to. I was attached to a uh, uh, combat communications squadron uh, down in uh, Warner Robins, Georgia, Central Georgia, and we had to be we had to be the jack of all trades and kind of the master of all as well so it, it was it was a really cool unit because what we would do our, our mission was to uh load up all of our uh equipment on these air, aircraft pallets uh stack them about seven feet tall and load them in the back of a c-130 cargo aircraft deploy out to you know wherever it is that we're needed and set up a network within 72 hours uh, you're and you're talking the satellite communication link to to pull pull services, and you're talking the the routers and switches and all the uh, all the server infrastructure uh, and all that stuff. So we we were tasked to do that within uh, 72 hours, and 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 you're doing this like in the middle of nowhere too. You're in, you're in setting up nowhere. So, yeah, yeah, there's so no address. Like, you're not asking for a circuit to be there. You're dropped in, and you've got the satellite communications. Wow! Interesting. Uh, absolutely. So we were we were considered one of the first groups to go into a a new base and open up a, a new base. So we had civil engineers attached to us, and they, they would run our HVAC, they would run our our power, our uh, our generators, and all that stuff. And you know, sometimes uh, I, I would have our civil engineers, our HVAC technicians, out there making Cat five cables for us because we just we're we're short handed, and you know, I, I'd teach them how to do it real quick and they, they'd be over there splicing cables and stuff. So we, we all really had to be uh, knowledgeable in all aspects of everything. So that, that's, that's why we did telephones, routers, switches, uh, and, and all that stuff. And, you know, if, if a class came available uh, to, to go for one of my guys to go do SATCOM, I would send them out to that, to that class so just because we had to be well-versed in, in all aspects of, of what, what our team did. How many, so, on on a typical one of those deployments, how many endpoints would you be dealing with? Um, as far as just the phones and and you know, of course, the networking pieces. But yeah, sure. So uh, some some of our buildouts, we are supplying two hundred endpoints uh, on uh, in, in these bare base environments. Um, but you know, as as soon as as soon as everything was up and running, the mission could go forward and. You know, we could we could start doing what we were tasked to do, um, whether that be in Jordan and Kuwait and Iraq, Afghanistan, or uh, Northern Africa. Uh, they they had a, a really great mission. So you know, whatever the mission called for is what we would provide. Uh, we we weren't really bound by anything. So if if we needed ten endpoints, we could deploy a, a kit that would supply that. If we needed five hundred, we could build out a kit that would supply that. And Typically, our teams were uh, between nine and fifteen people uh, that that were doing all this. That that includes our civil engineers that were supplying the HVAC and the power production. So, between nine and nine and fifteen people were were doing this. We yeah. had uh, we had several teams assigned to our squadron that would uh, go out and do this. And so, um, how many of these were at like um, pre-existing structures that you suddenly layered this into? Or was it more often than not um, the the tents that we see in on TV or in movies? Yeah, so so a lot of times it was that. A lot of times it was the uh, 
uh, the tents, the, uh, um, I, gosh, I can't remember the name of it. It's been a while now, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, what you see on the movies was a lot of times what we were operating in, um, and, uh, you know, out there in the middle of the deserts, uh, you know, it, it gets really hot in those things. I mean, they, they basically become ovens. So, uh, it, it, it was, it was very difficult at times to, to get this stuff up and going. So. So, okay, um, I'm used to having network closets that if they hit 70 degrees or 75 degrees, some of that Cisco networking equipment just saying, eh, I don't want to work, it's too hot. <laughs> um, and how did you guys deal with that out there? Yeah, so uh, so we, we had some of the best uh, HVAC technicians out there. We, we would uh, uh, deploy out you know, heavy-duty uh, uh, HVAC systems. And pipe in the, uh, pipe in the AC straight into the tent and we would set our, set our equipment right in front of the racks so that, uh, you know, it, it would stay at a good temperature. But if the, if the HVAC went down, it was a bad day for everybody. Is okay. we're, we're not just, we're not just providing services to the Air Force. A lot of times we're providing services to the Army, Navy, Marine Corps. Uh, and a lot of times they have assets up in the air or, you know, out in the field. And, you know, everything runs over IP now. Uh, all of our, all, everything we have runs on IP. So if our links go down, you know, bad things can happen. So, uh, you know, the, the maintenance that, that our HVAC guys put into those things were, were, was amazing. And, you know, a lot, a lot of credit goes to them. And so, I mean, I, I imagine this is like a completely different world than what I'm used to and what you're starting to find out about of, you know, in the in the private sector, I put out a, a I build that request. I put everything together in it. These are all the things that I need. Bring that to somebody, and they're like looking at the budget, and going, "Nah, you got to mark twenty percent off of this, but still make all of that happen." And and you were probably like, "Okay, I need this for this kit," and you just got it. Or, yeah, am so, I right? Yeah. So well, so the acquisition process. Uh, so we so the the uh, uh, equipment was is called theater deployable communication, so TVC equipment, and it's all centrally managed out of Hanscom Air Force Base up in uh, near Boston, Massachusetts. And you know, anytime they have a whole warehouse full of full of this stuff, so anytime that something would go wrong, anytime that we would need a, a new piece of equipment, we would just reach out to them, and and they would supply it to us. They they would uh, send it down to us. So we didn't really have to go out and purchase too much per se. We would just reach out to them and, you know, I, their budget was probably ridiculous. I, I don't even want to know how much money uh, that, that organization had and had to maintain. Uh, but acquisition for us, because we were such a high priority asset and not saying that we were the highest priority uh, team out there, because there's definitely uh, other teams out there that are, you know, more specialized in, in what they can do. And I, I can touch on that in, in a little bit, too. Uh, but, you know, we, whenever we needed something, we pretty much got it for the most part. Okay, so you don't didn't have to fight for the resources and and scrabble for it because they they knew that lives were involved because now yeah. now it's about the almighty dollar. Now what you're going to be fighting with is is making sure that whatever you do brings value to the organization and yeah. and more value than what it costs for you to do whatever you're doing. Um, yeah, so so it, it was so tightly managed that you know whenever a uh, whenever a router went down in one of these kits, because we had to do preventative maintenance inspections on them all the time. So whenever a router went down on it, 
it got recorded up to all the way up to the highest highest level uh that it would that it needed to go uh as you know and you you'd have a a one star general being told that hey th- this one single router is down and this one kit that probably won't be used for another year is down so uh you know whenever whenever the general gets briefed on on something like that it, it usually gets fixed pretty quickly okay the um just the thought of all of that and and how different it was so when when doing those kinds of deployments what what lesson or what did you learn from doing that 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 has become kind of one of the tenets or one of the axioms of of what you do and how you work today what did you learn from doing that you know what's yeah, so so probably the biggest lesson that i took away from from that role and and, and future roles too is that you really need to understand what your people are doing. You know, I, I, at my level, I don't need to be the expert on routing and switching. I don't need to be the expert on uh, Active Directory or, or you know, the firewall. I don't, I don't need to be on the keyboard writing those things, but I need to understand the language. And that's why it was so important for me to get into that two-week class that I mentioned and how I view that as a turning point, because before that, I had no idea what, what my airmen were doing. I had absolutely no idea they would be talking to me and it would be like Charlie Brown's mom <laughs> off in the, uh, off screen, you know, wah, wah, wah. So, yeah. But, and, and so that, that's kind of what I, how I feel my role as an IT director now is, you know, I don't need to know everything that, that I don't need to know the, the nuts and bolts of how they're getting the job done. I, I, but I do need to understand the language. I need to be able to relay that and translate that into a way that, uh, a doctor can understand because I am in the healthcare industry now. Uh, so I, I need to be able to translate the technical uh, jargon into something that that a doctor can understand. And you know, obviously, doctors are very smart, you know, but they're not technologists by nature. Most of them are not technologists by nature. So uh, whenever they're controlling the budget, I need to be able to say, "This is what we need. This is why we need it." And here's a little bit about how this thing works. So. Okay. Yeah, and then well, um, another question about the infrastructure and what you were building and the the goals behind everything. Um, so you're setting up your first one in to help set up the communications, the IP communications. Mm-hmm. Um, did it the did it stay to just the voice and the video, or did it expand out to um, all of the regular data set data points? So all the laptops, all of the machines, any of those kinds of things were you also the backbone for that yeah so so our team our team was and so we had a uh uh, uh someone who's their entire job their air force specialty code uh, afsc their entire afsc was to do desktop laptop support and deploy these machines out to all the different users and you're talking different networks too so you have uh uh, uh unclassified which is nippernet uh, classified to the secret level is CIFR net. And then to the top secret level in intelligence network is called JWIX. So we had to support all of these different networks to include the computer assets associated with it. So you're not going to put a, a unclassed computer on a classified network. So right. you had to manage all, all of those things. And we had to build out all these networks. There were some times where we were building three similar networks, but with different classification levels that they were able to handle. Uh, so yeah, we I mean we had to handle everything. Our, our team of nine to fifteen airmen had to do absolutely everything. If it if it plugged into a wall and pulled an IP address, 
we were the ones doing it. Yeah, that's that's um, I laugh because I always say if it runs electricity or code, it's my fault somehow. Uh, and, and so now if it plugs into a wall or if it pulls an IP address, that was your job. And okay, interesting. And, and then having to, what did you, man, so many, I want to dive deep into those technologies and, and the things that you guys had to do, but, but it's not about that. It's about learning um, the things that you picked up and learned along the way. And, and so, I mean, I assume that it's somewhat, <laughs> Uh, and, and now that I use that word, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, I assume it was easier to manage um, those kinds of teams, the military teams, than than the private sector teams. I know you're, you, you've got how many, what, like four months? Yeah, yeah. in fact, uh, today is my four-month mark in, in the seat at, uh, at my company. So, yeah, four months. Um, but so, so the biggest difference in managing a military team versus my private sector team is, you know, I, I have reliable data on what my airmen are trained on. I know exactly their blocks of instruction. I know how long they were in training for. I know the milestones that they were required to meet in order to get their get their qualification badge to put on their uniform. So whenever someone shows up, I can say, hey, what's your AFSC? Oh, I'm a uh, one Delta seven X, whatever. And I'll say, okay, I know that you went through this this these blocks of instruction this training hey i need you to go build it build out a cat five cable and uh, uh run into that wall over there for me or you're this you're this afsc i need you to go set up that satellite terminal for me so we can pull services out here in the private sector i have no no way of knowing what my team is is trained on uh you know they're they're wonderful people they're they're, they're super smart guys but i don't know what their what their history is you know if, if i say Hey, we need to build this product out. Uh, who do you think could do that? You know, sometimes neither one of my guys can can do that, and you know we have to go to to another resource to to try to sort that out, or I have to put them in training class. Uh, so I would say that's the biggest difference in uh, military versus private sector IT personnel is j just knowing exactly what I'm getting versus having to use those uh, interpersonal relationship skills to. Kind of, kind of figure it out and then say, okay, you don't have this training. Let's get you this training because this is a, this is a service that we need. So let's, uh, let's, let's get you trained up on this stuff. Yeah. And see, one of the things that I always ran into was, okay, if, if they don't know it, do I go out and, and do I take the time to grow that skill? Um, cause uh -huh. there's always that time, the, the time investment in it. Um, and, or do I go out there and hire that skill or do I, um, outsource that skill and and these are all things that you're going to get to face and and run into and and deal with coming up um how so, big so right now right now what i'm doing is i'm i'm outsourcing a lot of it but i'm i'm internally growing them so that i know so i eventually can stop outsourcing things yeah so yeah then that way you have better control over it and more knowledge with it and what's going on that was at least that was one of the things that our our organization always like this. They like to be able to just reach out and grab me and say, "Hey, fix this." <laughs> and I'm sure yeah. the military is more like that than than you know saying, "Hey, go let them know that they got to go fix this." Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, there, there's a there's a, a thing in the military and and in the private sector at, at some, some places too. But uh, they'll give you your job description and then they'll say, "And other duties as required." <laughs> and, you know, that, that that could be anything. Hey, 
Uh, now we're going to fill sandbags. Well, that's not, yes, it is. It's your job now. <laughs> yeah. We done told you it is. You are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what, what's your name? Oh, it's airmen. So, you know, all airmen go do this job. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So have you run into any resistance from the private sector yet or around some of those things? So that's not my job. Or he was wrong. It's their fault. They need to fix it. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. And uh, yeah, yeah. One of the things because you know my my team is real small, but one of the things that I'm I'm having to do is I'm having to be that that guy who says that you know uh, just because the software application is not running, uh, I don't I can't fix it. I don't know how to fix it. That's we, we that's a that's a cloud based product. You know I can submit a trouble ticket, but I can't go in and fix this so learning how to diplomatically say hey not really my lane but let me see what i can do to to try to help assist this or find the right person because you know i'm I'm still finding my footing out here so i don't want to be the guy say not my job but having to figure out the proper way to say let me help you find a solution to this problem that i don't know right now um so I'm wondering, you know, when when we started off the discussion, one of the things that you talked a lot about was was creating documentation, and, and in the private sector, creating documentation, um, at least in my experience, and hopefully it's not something that I bring to the team, uh, getting that documentation created and getting that follow through and and having that made so that you know when the when people cycle through or there's new opportunities or whatever that there's there's assets there for the next person to learn from. Um, it sounds like you ended up with that as kind of a fundamental. Um, is it something that you're pushing today as you're working at it, the new? It is because so so it is fundamental to the to the military because you know after every exercise, after every deployment, after every mission, you have to write uh, an after action report, basically summarizing to granular to the granular detail uh what what went good what went bad uh in creating this whole this whole lessons learned uh documentation uh in your after actions report so that's ingrained in me uh the issue that i'm facing now at my at my company is you know we've been we've been spread pretty thin uh so my guys have been uh they, they like to say before i got there they were uh, just keeping the lights on so they didn't have time to write this, write down their lessons learned or their after action reports or document a lot of this stuff. And before they came on, on, there's not a whole lot of that information out there. Uh, you know, we don't have service logs. We don't have uh, a robust, uh, ticketing system where we can go back and, and pull up, uh, oh, this, this problem happened a year and a half ago and this is what we did for it. Uh, so it, it, it is something that I'm definitely trying to get after because it, it, it's so important. I mean, you know, uh, you're, you're doomed to, to fail if you keep continuing to repeat history and you're, you're going to repeat history if you don't learn from your mistakes. Right. And that's, that's, uh, you know, it seems, wow. Um, that, that tells me so much about the organization that you're at. And now it makes me, so it, it adds lots of questions. Like how large is the organization that you're at now? How many, how many people are you supporting? Uh, so just under 500, uh, organization. So, so we're, let's see. So we are acquiring, uh, different healthcare organizations, different yeah. healthcare companies. So we have, uh, 
We have a presence here in Houston. We have a presence in Dallas, Austin, and out in California. Uh, so it's about 500 people uh, throughout the, the entire enterprise. But I'm primarily focused on our Houston uh, employees, and that's uh, about 225 employees. And, uh, and I, how much I, of this is is acquisition over the last, say, 12 to 24 months that you know of? Yeah. So uh, let's see. 19. 19, 19 is uh, uh, so we, we have 35 locations and 19 of those are uh, acquisitions over the, in the last 24 months. Wow. And, and out of all of those locations, nobody had a help desk uh, or a ITSM, as they like to call them now. No. So so out in California, we do use a, a service provider out there because we don't have a, a full time employee. So we, we do outsource, uh, outsource our IT needs to a managed service provider out there, and they do a phenomenal job. And their their historical knowledge is pretty vast. Um, up in up in the Dallas area, we have we have one one team member. Uh, I don't know what hit the uh, the historical documentation is up there. Uh, this uh, person has been with the company for many many years, so a lot of his information is probably stored in his head. Uh, need to get that information down on paper. And then here in the here in the Houston area, we have. Uh, uh two two full-time employees and uh uh like i said they just haven't really had the time to document a lot of this stuff just because they're they're they've been keeping the lights on basically so wow okay so those are some of your challenges and so um here i ask you for another one of the life lessons here what from your military background as you step into this role and you're starting to i'm assuming you're starting to see the whole environment and you're starting to do more um quick question how many people are on the team now on my it team i have a uh two here one in austin uh, msp out in california so three full-time employees and then myself so four okay damn (laughs) all right (laughs) so yeah there's that's a bit of a challenge what what from what you've learned in the military are the things that you just feel like oh man i've got to have this built and set up and i need this foundation so that i can continue to move forward and and be the resource that this organization is looking for so, so the first thing that comes to mind, and I, I don't know if this is the question that you're asking, but this is the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, most of my success in the military, if not all my success, is my ability to build build relationships. Uh, you, you know, once you establish a good, solid relationship with a, with a person, you know, a team, an organization, leadership, uh, you can move mountains. You know. Uh, a happy employee will gladly go above and beyond uh, if if they know that you have their back at the end of the day. Uh, building those relationships and and having someone who who works with me that trusts me, they're they're more willing to take chances. And you know, if if something goes great, I'm going to give them all the credit in the world. If something goes bad, I'm going to take ownership of that failure. Uh, and I I I think I think it's moving i think that skill is coming over to the uh private sector and i like to think that that uh, i've established these relationships with my team and my peers and my my superiors that they that they like me that they trust me and that they're willing to let me have a place at the table 
uh, to either represent them or represent the interests of the company. So build, building relationships is probably the, the most important thing to me. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for those key takeaways to um, help us promote this and, and just, you know, learn from from your experience. What what are those things that, that you found? And so um, building the relationships and, and trust, building trust is like so important um, on all levels of it from the uh, the guy that's answering help desk all the way up to uh yes sir uh we'll make that happen <laughs> and he's gonna uh, be able absolutely. to trust that you will absolutely and you know i i uh my my ceo uh he, he trusts me uh i, I hope <laughs> uh you know it, it, and i know that he does because i was just able to get a a uh uh you know two hundred thousand dollar contract uh, on his desk and, and signs, and you know that that's not something that that the CEO of a company is going to take lightly. Uh, and right. he doesn't; he's not going to sit there and dig down into the weeds to try to understand everything that we're doing. But he trusts me that I'm making the right decision for the company, and that this that this decision is going to uh, save the company money, make the company money, and it's not going to cost us money. Uh, it's not going to cost us in excess. So uh, you know. I feel like in my four months that I've built those relationships with the with the C-suite and with the vice presidents uh, in the company that they that they trust my technical abilities and my technical opinion. And how big was the team in the military? You, you mentioned it one time twenty five, I think. Or yeah, so uh, so it, it 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 varied from from uh, organization to organization. Uh, so down in uh, down in uh, Georgia, when I was doing combat communications, I had. I directly uh, oversaw uh, about 25, between 25 and 40 uh, airmen. Uh, then uh, my last assignment, uh, I, I just got home from Korea back in back in March of, of this year in 23. Uh, there I had 140 airmen. Uh, so, uh, you know, wide, wide scope of responsibility there. Uh, anywhere from, uh, I, I think the, the smallest number that I led in, in the latter half of my career was five. So between five and 140 people. And, you know, those 140, they're not d- direct reports. I, I had nine direct reports and, you know, the, the chain of command filtered down. But at the end of the day, I was responsible for uh, the actions of, of all of all 140 of those. Airmen. Uh, uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's quite the team to, to, have the experience working with and, and yeah you got to have those layers because otherwise trying to direct report 140 people no way but nine oh, yeah. nine's hard to do yeah, it, it, it would, 140 would be be impossible but one thing that i did try to do with with my team of 140 is i tried to establish a relationship with as many as i could you know i, I might not know your first name i might not know your birthday but you know whenever i walk into the office because I, I was the I was the senior. I was a senior master sergeant, and I was in charge of the entire operations. Uh, we call them flights in the Air Force. I was in charge of the uh, all of the operations flight. And when I visit the different work centers, uh, you know, I, I wanted them to not clam up or not not be shy or be like, "Oh, the seniors here." You know, let, let's uh, you know mind our p's and q's. I wanted them to be themselves. Uh, and you know, at the end of my tour there, I, I really think that I uh, was successful in that. Because, like I said, if, if people like you and people understand what your intent is and they respect you, you, you get a lot more done. You, you get a lot more done. You know, if I, 
one, one situation we had, I had to bring in my crew, uh, on a Saturday and nobody likes to do that, uh, especially in the military. Cause you know, we're already, uh, spread pretty thin and taxed pretty hard, uh, physically. So I had to bring them in on Saturday and, you know, I, I showed up on Saturday with them and I was, I was doing everything that I possibly could to make their Saturday just a little bit easier. And I, I think that earned me a little bit of credibility. I'll say a lot of credibility. I think, I think it, I think it helped establish who I was as a leader. Cause that, that was pretty early on my, I think that was actually my second weekend when I, first, when I got to Korea. So, uh, you know, being able to establish that credibility as a, as a leader, I think really helped, uh, during my time there. Yeah. Versus sitting back and, and just saying, go do this. I told you go do. Yeah, Cause it would have been easy just to sit at my apartment while the guys went out and, and fixed the telephones and the elevators. Uh, you know, I didn't have to be there. Nobody told me to be there, but it was important that I threw my uniform on. I, I went in there and I helped out everywhere that I could because on Saturday, I'm taking them away from their family. I'm taking them away from, uh, something that they wanted to do because the last thing they wanted to do is go fix those telephones in the, in the elevators. But, you know, seeing me there, I, th I think hopefully, uh, made it a little bit more, a little bit easier for them to, uh, stomach to spend their Saturday doing that. No, it's guaranteed it did. I mean, I, I've worked for both kinds, and, and I much more appreciate the guy that's standing next to me helping me versus the guy that's standing behind us telling us. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's important. It was important to me to do that because, uh, like I said, I could have very easily just stayed at home. Uh, I didn't have to do that, but it was important for me to do that. So what do you think was one of the hardest things that you faced in your career? What's one of those, what's one of those things that you struggled with that you overcame and, and um, you know, what was, does anything come to mind? Does anything jump out? Well, yeah. So, so I, I think the biggest thing that I, that I struggled with was, uh, you know, I, I PCS permanent change of station. I, I moved, uh, I think seven times in the military and, uh, my situation is unique because I never did the same thing twice. So I, I started off in intrusion detection, then I did video production, then I became a military training instructor, then I was a network technician down in combat communications, then I went and did satellite communications up for a, a Joint Special Operations Command, and then I went to uh, back to San Antonio to do uh, cyber operations, uh, and then you know my final assignment was over in Korea where I was the operations superintendent. So so knowing that you're going to move every three to four years and knowing that you're going to be doing something different every single time that was a, that was a struggle because you know when i when i got hired on a uh, joint special operations command uh to run a satellite communications hub i knew nothing about satellites i, I knew nothing about uh how how they worked you know it was all voodoo magic to me <laughs> you know uh, I, none of it made any sense but here i am getting paid to sit in this seat and manage this uh extremely high priority satellite network uh for these uh, special operators on the ground who rely on their ability to communicate with their teammates and i'm sitting here in my air-conditioned office in fort bragg north carolina and not really understanding how to do my job so you know just getting thrown thrown into the sharks was uh it was always difficult but i always was successful for the most part uh you know it wasn't without uh without turbulence and, and uh difficulty but that was probably the most challenging thing is 
moving to a new duty station and having to learn an entirely new skill each and every time. And it, it wasn't supposed to be like that. It, the, the military and the Air Force and the way our job codes are, are designed, it's not supposed to be like that. But the way my career path led me, I, I did a different job every single time. That It's not, not including the time that I uh, went to Kuwait as a project manager and had no idea how to manage a project. <laughs> Didn't even know project management terminology. Uh, so it, that, that was probably the biggest, uh, hurdle that I had to overcome. It, it seems like the learning the terminology would be the hard part there, but that, that all of your experiences prior to that, learning how to deploy and do all of these things, those skills were probably innate in you by that point. It was just now translating and, and learning. Oh, you mean that? I can't even put it into words, but but something that you were used to doing, like all of the planning, all of the pre-work and all of the um, design, yeah. you know, you already had that. And you would think about all of that stuff as you start working on a project. And some project managers are just like, OK, let's start moving and, and wait. There's a lot of if you do it right, there's a lot of work that happens prior to moving at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I got I got placed in this project management office. And I, I didn't know any of the terminology. I'd have to go to these meetings. They'd be talking about KPIs and all this stuff. And I'm like, it was my lieutenant who was, uh, uh, who was a project manager by trade, uh, who was running these meetings. And finally I had to be like, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. And he, he gave me some resources and he just told me to relax. You're doing a great job. Continue what you're doing. Everything else will come to you. And that's exactly what I did. I, I, you know, I stopped worrying about the terminology and KPIs and this and that, and I just started doing my job. And I ended up, it ended up being a very successful deployment. And it, it was actually another career defining moment for me, uh, because I, I, I started to love project management. And, you know, as a director of IT now, I, I, I see myself as a basically a project manager, a program manager. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting for my PMP pretty soon. Uh, so. Uh, you know, it, it was one of the career defining moments that I was absolutely terrified to do, uh, and didn't know if I was doing a good job at it. But then, you know, like you said, all the other experiences I had throughout the military, I've been doing project management for, for the entire time. I just didn't know it. Yeah. And I, I feel like that, that's probably what a lot of project managers, uh, they, they probably have that, that light bulb moment that says, I know how to do this. I, I've been doing this for a long time. I just wasn't calling it project management, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, in all honesty, there's one other thing that's like that. Now, I, I agree with you on the project management. For the PMP, you got to be able to show those things. You got to show years of doing it. Um, so, I have a question around that. But, but sales, everything is sales. And, you know, I grew up telling myself, oh, I'm never going to be a salesperson because, you know, the <laughs> car salesman and, and the cold calls that we used to get, we used to. Um, <laughs> The uh, I told myself I was never going to do sales, and then one day as I'm w delivering food, as I'm waiting at the table, I'm like, "Oh man, everything is sales, <laughs> absolutely everything." <laughs> so you know, it, it was one of those light bulb moments, that, but it was more of a face palm. Um, <laughs> and so when you decided that you were going to go after your PMP, um, I'm assuming that you didn't decide that three years ago because PMPs, last I looked at it, they require proof of three years of doing projects and but but you've got that yeah and so, yeah, so the thought of pmp came after or well, so you know i so i wanted to get my pmp uh pretty much as soon as i 
learned about it and learned that I like project management. So it was a little bit over three years ago. But what I wanted to do is I wanted the military to pay for us. <laughs> and so uh, so there, there's a program that I actually participated in uh, after I left Korea uh, called SkillBridge with uh, Onward to Opportunity, an organization called Onward to Opportunity. And what they do is they uh, they pay for your boot camp, they pay for your training, and they pay for your uh, certification voucher. Uh, and I, I, you can get that all for free as a, as a retiring or a separating military member, uh, under certain, certain, certain circumstances. So that was always kind of my goal. You know, whenever I go to retire from the, from the Air Force, I'm going to do the skill bridge program with onwards opportunity. And that's how I'm going to get my, my PMP. And so that's exactly what I'm doing. I, I, I came home from Korea back in March of this year. I went through the boot camp. And I did all the training. And actually, last night is when I, I find I got the voucher approved uh, and submitted for uh, submitted for the test. So in uh, in mid January, I'm I'm going to be sitting for my PMP. I I pushed it out a little bit just because I want to be super solid that I that I'm going to pass it. You know, there's nothing worse than having to retake. I had to I had to retake uh, CCE and T uh, back uh, back a couple of years ago, and nothing worse than having to retake a test. So I want to I want to make sure that I'm really ready for it. Okay. Well, I, and, and I can just tell from your personality that, that you will be. <laughs> um, and then, you know, so I'm, I'm wondering that as you're moving into the private sector and, and the, the military career has sunsetted and um, all of these different skills that you, that you've learned and brought, um, it seems like it was a wonderful choice for you to, to land a job as uh, I believe it's director of IT, right? Yes, and, yeah, director of IT. Yep. And um, it seems like you'd fit almost anywhere, but you ended up in an area that requires some compliance. That uh, that I'm next to positive you haven't had to deal with at all. So, uh, what do you? What struggles or what challenges and opportunities are you seeing there? And yeah, so so we, we're mandated by law to be HIPAA compliant with 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 all of our uh, with all of our software project pro, uh, processes and, and you know everything. And so thankfully, you know the, the company's been around that I work for has been around since 1952. So they, you know, for the most part, everything is HIPAA compliant. So uh, what I have to do is whenever I'm looking at a new software hardware product, uh, I, the first thing out of my mouth is, "Are we HIPAA compliant? Does your product keep me?" In compliance with uh, with HIPAA, and you know, for the most part, I haven't had a I haven't had a situation where they say no, uh, we're not. But it, it is always the it is always the, the first question out of my mouth. Now, one thing that I've had to do is I, I have had to say to a few different people within my organization is I'm not the HIPAA compliance officer. Uh, if 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 we need someone who innately understands HIPAA because uh, because I'll ask those questions, but I cannot be the HIPAA compliance officer. Uh, so that, that, that has been one thing that I, to it, very, 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 uh, a very, very small amount. It, it has been a challenge because when I was onboarding, I had to, you know, read a, a three page document that explained our HIPAA compliance and get done with the three page document, sign at the bottom, and boom, you're, you're now an expert, right? Right. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, that is that's not how it works. So it it, it has been a little bit of a uh, little bit of a challenge uh, understanding all the all the new terminology and making sure I'm asking the right questions. 
And, you know, one of the, the thoughts that hit me as you were talking about that is um, every vendor, I'm sorry, you know, sorry, those of you that I work with and, and I'm not <laughs> meaning to kick any of you, but vendors lie. <laughs> so they're all going to tell you they're HIPAA compliant. And so learning how to, to um, check that is going to be yeah. a, a key component, whether you're doing it or whether somebody else is doing it. And then the learning how bringing a new system in, even though it's HIPAA compliant and how it interacts with somebody else or some other system, um, does that break that compliance? Because mm -hmm. there's going to be times where that interaction rubs the edge or, or pushes that, that boundary. So, yeah, um, and, and the, you know, the fine, the fines are hefty and, you know, it's, if I bring on a software product or a hardware product that moves us out of compliance and we, we get hit with a fine, you know, I'm no longer the director of IT anymore. You know, they're, they're now, uh, they're now searching for a new, uh, uh, director of IT. So it, it is very, very important that we, that we maintain that and that I do my due diligence. Uh, with these different vendors uh, to to make sure that we maintain our our compliance because you know the like I said the the fines are hefty and extensive and if if it's my fault it's my fault and I have to own that and then I have to you know change my LinkedIn banner to uh to open to work so yeah, yeah that's not fun <laughs> um, <laughs> hopefully hopefully I don't have to do it for a long time hopefully yeah. hopefully uh uh this this uh this train keeps on rolling. Yeah, no, though I wish you the best with that. I mean, it, it seems like you're going to succeed wherever you're at. Just, just my talking with you and and what I'm learning of you, um, tells me that you're going to do well. Which you know what brings up a, a question about a topic that you said that you suffered from, um, when we did our our pre call, and that was imposter syndrome. Talk to me about you know that that's another one of those things that that I think you had to overcome or or um just get rid of so so imposter syndrome yeah so so imposter syndrome is is very real uh you know uh, whenever i got the first call from our hr uh team saying hey we, we'd like for you to interview Let, let's uh sit down and let me ask you a couple of questions you know I, I answered the questions and i'm like they're not gonna call me back because i don't have a experience in healthcare uh, you know that was that was cool but they're never gonna call me back a couple of days later, I get an email from uh, from HR saying this, uh, the CFO wants to interview me, and you know that interview goes fantastic. He asked me a couple uh, technology questions that I uh, that I that I'm able to answer confidently, and I'm like, well, you know, but I I did kind of flub on a uh, flub on one of the one of the questions, so I'm like, eh, you know, he's not going to call me back. Well, I get I get another call back, and now we're interviewing with this outside consultant. Uh, and I'm like, okay, this is the nail in the coffin. After after I meet with this consultant, he, he's going to throw some curveballs at me, and I'm never moving past this round. It was a wonderful conversation, and you know, it was it was fantastic. It was a wonderful experience. Then I get an email saying we <laughs> the CEO and the VP of Ops want to interview you. Well, uh, okay, oh, okay, let, let's. I don't know why they want to interview me, but okay, let's do it. Next thing I know, I'm getting a I'm getting a job offer uh, with, with with the salary attached to it, and so. The whole time I'm thinking, why me? Why did they hire me versus someone who has healthcare experience? Why me? Why, why not someone with a longer resume or more experience out here in the private sector? Or, you know, just, just the questions like, you know, it, it was, it was my own internal battle to justify why, 
they wanted me on their team. And even when I, even when I onboarded, uh, you know, I was here for weeks and months and I, I kept on asking myself, why me? You know, what, what makes me more special than anybody else? Why did they hire me? I, I don't understand what makes me qualified. And it, it was to the point where, you know, I was like, how do I justify this to myself? Do I need to go get an MBA so I can understand the, the, the terminology? You know, there, there, there's that terminology thing again. Do I need to go get an MBA so that, so that I feel like I belong here? And when I talked, when I told my wife that she was like, just be content. They hired you because you're good for the job. They hired you because you're a likable person. They, they hired you because of your experience. You don't need an MBA is what she told me. She's like, just be content with where you're at. You don't need to always be uh, doing something else to, to prove yourself. And it, it was that moment where I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. Let me settle down into this position, really understand what I'm doing and why they hired me. And that was because I'm qualified. Uh, and last week I, I got a contract. Uh, I think I mentioned it earlier. I got a contract signed by the CEO that's going to completely change our network. And in that moment, I felt, okay, I belong here. You know, they, they trust me. They like me. Uh, they're not going to fire me, uh, yet, <laughs> but you know, I, I belong here, uh, because they signed this contract that I've been trying to negotiate for, for months now. I belong here. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm still going to go back and forth, uh, at, at some point and, uh, say, why me again? Uh, but, in this moment and today, I feel like I belong. So uh, I, I think it's going to be an ongoing struggle with, with the imposter syndrome. But right now, I, I'm, I'm content. I'm, I'm happy. I feel like I belong where I'm at. So I got two, two little things for you. Number one, why not you? What, what have you done that makes it so you shouldn't be there? You know, so, so hit yourself with that question. And then um, it's, to me, it's not natural. Um, although it's something that I've started to do is go ask them, go ask them, Hey, you know, I'm here. I've been here for a little while. I I'm getting some things done, but I just want to know what was it about my interview that had you hand me up to the CFO? Um, or, you know, go to the CFO. Hey, what was it about my interview that, that, you know, had you, Pass me to the outside consultant or and, and talk to all of them. Find out. And they're going to appreciate you having that curiosity and you're going to appreciate the answers because it's going to help give you more of that validation that you already, you, you have it. You just not trust in it. <laughs> and <laughs> you build trust with others. You build trust with yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, you know, I, I think a lot of uh, former military that, that transition to the private sector, uh, I, I think a lot of us struggle with with the imposter syndrome because, you know, it, it's so easy just to raise your right hand and re-enlist again. You know, I, I couldn't re-enlist. They weren't kicking me out or anything. I, I chose to retire uh, and to, to go from this guaranteed paycheck where, I, where I've been doing this for 20 years. and I, I know I can do it blindfolded at this point. Uh, it, it, it's it's hard to transition to the to the outside world to the real world so to speak and then when someone takes a takes a a gamble on you a, a risk by hiring you and paying you the salary you you have to ask yourself why but i i'm starting to understand my why and i'm starting to uh, really feel uh at home now 
Cool. So is there anything else, any other lessons that, that, you know, that took you that career, all of the, those years to learn that you want to help those that are coming behind us, um, those that are listening to us, um, is there any other nuggets of wisdom that you'd like to, to toss their way that, um, to help them besides, you know, obviously speak the business and, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, honestly, you know, building relationships was, I think, the key to my success in, in the military and hopefully out here in the private sector. But another thing is taking risk, being willing to take a risk on, on yourself, on, uh, on a, on a product, on a service, on whatever, just be willing to take a risk. You know, the, the, the paved road is always easy, but you know, sometimes the best adventures are, are found off the path. And so, you know, I was, I was in a very comfortable spot when I was working in that combat communications uh, squadron, uh, someone reached out to me from Joint Special Operations Command, uh, it, just a, a cold email and said, hey, we want you to come interview. And by the way, I was in Kuwait at the time. I was in, the, I was in Kuwait whenever I got this email. Hey, we want you to come interview for this job. I had no idea how they got my information. I, I had, and I said, hey, I'm in Kuwait, I'm deployed. You, you can't leave the, you can't leave Kuwait to come interview for a job. Uh, wait, give me six months and I can do it. They said, no, you can come. Just go ask the question. They'll say yes. <laughs> so, uh, so I did that. I, I went and asked the question and sure enough, they said yes because of who Joint Special Operations Command is. They said yes. And so, uh, a week later, I was on a plane from Kuwait to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina to go interview for this job that I had no details on, none whatsoever. They didn't even tell me any details whenever I was interviewing for the job. It was more of a, personality test can we work with this guy uh, type of interview and you know they, they asked me a couple of technical questions that uh, i had to be honest with them and said i don't know I, I i do not know the answer for that but if you guys take a chance on me i will become the best the best person that you have still having absolutely no idea what i'm doing so i go back to kuwait uh after the interview it's a week-long interview uh so i go back to kuwait and then i get a get an email saying, Hey, congratulations. You got the job. We want you here in uh, June of next year. And I'm like, okay, well, this is turning my life completely upside down. My wife had a wonderful job that she was working at. We had just bought our first house. We had a, a, a less than one year old baby. So we, we were comfortable in Georgia, but then I said, Hey, this is a, I told my wife, I said, this is a good thing. I don't know what it is, but this is a good thing. Only good things are going to come from this. And so I took a chance on it. And Another one of those career defining moments. Uh, I, I went up there. I started working uh, satellite communications. Gave me that breadth of experience. I met some wonderful people up there, and uh, you know, it, it exposed me to things that you read about in the newspapers or that they make movies about. Uh, it, it, it gave me a firsthand look into what what it is that we do uh, out there uh, as a as a military. It's it, it, it was one of those career defining uh, moments and I could have very easily not taken the job because I didn't have to. They, they, they yeah, didn't you could have just ignored me. that email. I, I could have ignored the email and life would have went on. You know, I, I might still be living in Georgia 10 years later uh, right now, but I took a chance on it and I went up there and it was a wonderful, wonderful experience that propelled my military career to, to, you know, I, I, I was in the E8, a senior master sergeant. It, it only goes to E9. So I, I made it to uh, almost to the top. And, you know, I probably could have continued going if I wanted to continue 
uh, wearing the uniform. Uh, but without that job, you know, I don't know, I don't know if I would have made it as, as high as I did. So, uh, take chances, uh, tr- trust yourself. Uh, you know, uh, the world is wonderful. And if you, if you take a chance to experience it, uh, it, well, most of the time, only good things will happen. Not saying every chance is good, but <laughs> you know, you're are absolutely right that this, that that move is part of what movies are made of and and stuff um if i'm not mistaken there's a book about it already um called team of teams but um i had to look it up just because i couldn't remember his name but general stanley mccrystal and um if am i right is that because he was that so so general mccrystal was the commander of joint special operations command uh a few years before i got there uh but yeah no i've read the book it's a wonderful book and you know I, I recommend that to everybody. It is a fantastic book, especially for for your audience, uh, for directors of IT and CIOs out there. Uh, there's a lot of lot of wonderful uh, nuggets of knowledge in, in that book. In, in, anything by uh, by uh, General McChrystal, uh, Admiral, Admiral McRaven also wrote a fantastic book. Uh, Make your bed. It's called Make Your Bed. It's real short. You can you can read it in one afternoon. Uh, it, you know the, the premise is uh start your day every day by making your bed and you know it, the, the small things matter yeah no i i recognize that that book too in that title um and and you know it's been a meme on on multiple of the uh, social social media apps well you know sean this has been an awesome discussion i really enjoyed this time thank you for sharing with us yeah thank um, you for inviting me this is this has been a wonderful wonderful experience cool and and you know audience um everybody out there um sean is looking to grow the linkedin network so please look him up find him uh, and make that request and and uh he'll he'll make sure that you're not an imposter or a bot <laughs> and then <laughs> and reach out to you um and if you enjoyed the show please leave a comment hit like you know let us know on those on those social medias on and wherever you're finding this podcast, please let us know what you think, because we need that feedback so that we can get better and so that we can make sure that we're bringing you the right content. Sean, thank you. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it.